Good morning. Good morning. Hey, I know that uh, Dan just prayed, but do you mind if I pray? I really need the help. If you could do me a favor and pray for me as I pray for you, I'd really appreciate it. So let's go to God in prayer. Father, um, why is it that Sunday mornings are crazy? Why is it always chaotic when um, we're trying to hustle and bustle outside the door? Um, I don't know. But God, let this be a place, a sanctuary where we can encounter you. And let the peace that you promised to us be evident and real. So God, we pray expecting for that peace to come. Help us. Help my fumbling, stumbling words like Dan said. Um, be good and be a conduit for your grace. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 So, hey, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sam, and I'm one of the members here at Crossway. Um, I think a lot of you in this congregation do know this fact, but I grew up as a PK, a PK. And if you don't know what a PK is, if you don't know that lingo, it stands for pastor's kid. Uh, and the particular tradition that I grew up in was very different than the one here at Crossway. I was raised in the charismatic circles. And if you're new to Christianity or not familiar with Christianity, let me paint a picture for you, okay? This is what a typical charismatic service will go like, all right? So imagine a worship service where there's no hands in the pockets, nobody crossing their, their hands across their chest during a worship song, okay? The only options you have are this or this, all right? Those are the only two options. And Kyle Bureau says there's not, not even a flat screen TV holding like this, all right? Those are the only options you have. And as people's hands are raised high up in the air, so is everyone's voices as they sing a powerful worship song. Very music, moving worship music. There could be a fog machine present. Who knows? And as people's hands are high and their voices are high, then all of a sudden, during the middle of a worship song, you hear, hear your Aunt Betty just start to freestyle in tongues. And you're going, okay, all right. And then two or three people start to catch that fire. And then they start to break out in tongues. And then it's a breaking out in tongues party. And you're going, all right, wow, this is, this is good. Everyone's freestyling. And then you see your Uncle Johnny in the corner start to do the shimmy because the Holy Spirit got him. And then... This is how you know the, the spirit has really broken out. When one of the deacons starts to walk down the aisle and just bust out like a windmill on the floor, and everyone's going, whoa, the spirit, the spirit. That is what a charismatic worship service will feel like and look like. Well, the Korean charismatic circles are just a little bit different, a little bit different with a the, with the flair. The Korean charismatic circles is sort of like the Kool-Aid commercials where everyone is sitting around, you know, quiet and orderly, and then right before they sip their drink, like the Kool-Aid guy just busts out through the room and goes, oh yeah, with a whole bunch of bricks all flying over the place. That's what it's like in the Korean charismatic church. Like, everyone is deeply contemplative and quiet, and then they would say that the spirit will bust in the room and the congregation, and then it would be a praying in tongues party. See, that's what I grew up seeing prayer in the church. But the interesting is, is that I also grew up seeing something completely different at home. 
At home, it wasn't flashy or expressive. It was actually quite the opposite. See, when I was growing up, I would wake up to a dad who every day, without fail, would pray quietly in his room for four hours straight, except Sundays. And then I would walk downstairs for breakfast, and I would hear my grandma, who lived with us at the time, praying with tears in her eyes, interceding for us on the behalf of God. And then I would have a mama who would drive me to school, praying out loud the whole way there, sometimes in tongues, sometimes not. This is what I grew up around. I grew up around prayer warriors. And I came to quickly realize that in my prayer life, that I couldn't pray like these amazing people around me. But you better believe I tried. <laughs> oh, I tried. Uh, so I tried tr many different things in prayer, many type of manners. And one of the things I tried was, um, I thought what would bring me to the next level was to pray in tongues. So uh, when I was alone in my room, I would close the door, make sure no one's around, and I would try to spit it out. Okay, I will close my eyes, try to spit it out. But what came to happen was, it sounded like a really sickly cat purring with a motorboat. <laughs> I tried a lot, and it didn't happen. So how do you go to the next thing, all right? The motorboat cat didn't work. So I moved on. And so the next thing I would do to get good at praying is I would set a timer and say to God, God, I'm going to pray for 30 minutes straight right here, right now, for you. And then I would kneel beside the bed, start my prayer. And then a minute in to praying, you know, you think I'm thinking about God, his glory, something from the Bible. No, no. I was thinking about what happened on Dragon Ball Z, all right? <laughs> I couldn't even get it straight in a minute in. And I even did this. This is the most embarrassing thing. I don't recommend you try this at home, but I tried to make myself cry before praying. Think of that. If I could only conjure up enough emotion, enough tears, that God would hear me more. So I would do many things uh, to make myself cry. And, you know, one of my go-tos would be thinking about Mufasa off The Lion King. And I would, I would imagine him, like, falling off the cliff into the stampede of, I don't know, wildebeest. And that would always, like, spark the tears going down. Um, but then I'd get into weird spots because then I'll be thinking about The Lion King instead of praying. It was, it was really awkward. So I tried a lot of things, and I was constantly hitting and missing. I could never achieve this being good at prayer. But Crossway family, wasn't I missing the point of prayer? Wasn't I missing the point? See, what I was trying to do is achieve the superstar Sam prayer level status instead of coming to God with who I truly am. A weak, a broken sinner who's unable to be a superstar. See, what I needed to realize that I needed the gospel. I needed to know that Jesus, the Son of God, had to be good for me. That he had to be the righteousness for me. That he had to be perfect for me. So that I could then freely take all these different manners of prayer, fall flat on my face, 
and then joyfully come up and then brush the dirt off of my shoulders. And let's try again. Because it's not about me being good at prayer, right? It's not about my performance. It's about his performance in which we all stand, in which I stand. So that we can be totally free to commune with the God of the universe. And that's the main point of the sermon and the text that we'll go over about the manner of prayer. So let me restate the main point of the sermon real quick. Here we go. It's in Jesus' performance in which we stand so that we can be free to commune with God without performance. It's in Jesus' performance in which we stand so that we can be free to commune with God without performance. And we'll see that in today's sermon text today, uh, Matthew chapter 5. So if you close your Bibles, do me a favor and open it back up to Matthew chapter 5. And as you're opening it back up, uh, just a quick side note. Um, I was originally um, going to preach on Matthew 6. That was my assignment on the manner of prayer. And it's the famous Lord's Prayer. You know, but as I was studying it, you really can't understand the Lord's Prayer, Matthew 6, without understanding what's going on in Matthew 5. And I think when we understand what's happening in Matthew 5, it will help us in the manner of prayer. All right? So Matthew 5, here's a little bit of context here. Matthew 5, what's going on? Matthew 5 is the start of the greatest sermon ever preached. The greatest sermon ever preached. Because this sermon is from the greatest preacher in the history of mankind. Jesus, right? He better be the best preacher out there. And you know, Dan Kirk, I'm sorry, I mean, you guys may be right here, but Jesus is definitely outside the roof in his preaching. And his audience then, it's not to us, his audience is mainly to the huge religious crowd of Jews that are surrounding him. That's his audience. And what he's wanting to do in the sermon is transform all their religious microscopes, which makes them zoom in on themselves and on their own goodness and on their own religious works. And he wants to transform those microscopes into telescopes, making them zoom out to see how unbelievably far and ridiculous it is for them to be good in and of themselves. So, Jesus makes this shocking statement in Matthew 5. Matthew 5, verse 20. Read it with me. Verse 20. Jesus said, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds the scribes of the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This statement is shocking. It's shocking. And it's shocking because the Pharisees and the scribes were people that ran the religious race so hard and so good that it made everyone else look like kindergartners on the racetrack. Like, um, are you guys familiar with the book of Leviticus? You know, the uh, book in your Bible reading plan that you can never get past? Like, that's their jam. They like to just swim around in that book for fun. And not only do they do all those laws in it, they'll make up their own laws to make sure they're keeping it to a T. In fact, here's the line. What they'll do is they'll run 100 yards the other way, make their own line just to make sure that they are good. 
these are the type of people they were. And so for this text to say in verse 20 that your righteousness needs to exceed people like that, these scribes and Pharisees, to a bunch of religious folk, leaves all of them going, hey, God, if, if they can't enter into the kingdom of heaven, then who can? See, the uh, equivalent today in our world and in our context would be all the hot sauce, applesauce Christians who would wake up every day at, seven, at 4, 4 a.m., not 7 a.m., 4 a.m., sort of hot sauce Christians, who have Instagram-worthy devotional moments, right? They have their Bible open, their coffee's hot and ready. These are the people that have perfect family devotions, who have no kids misbehaving, who never be caught dead watching Squid Games and listening to Billie Eilish, and who definitely, definitely are the ones who could be praying 30 minutes straight without thinking about Dragon Ball Z, all right? These are the people that are righteous in our day, right? Who better than these people can enter into heaven? Like, if they can't make it, then I, yours truly, absolutely have no chance in making it to heaven. See, to the world and other religions, if you follow all the rules and try to be a good person, then you got your golden ticket to heaven. You are deemed righteous and good. But Jesus, here in this text, does something so radical, so extraordinary. He takes the whole law, the moral code, on how people can be good in it themselves. He transforms their religious microscopes to examine their own goodness. Okay, God, I'm good because, you know, I don't cuss, I don't look at porn, I tell the truth most of the days, right? And I tithe. See, Jesus takes all of these and then he transforms them into a telescope, making everybody realize how unbelievably far they are in being truly good in and of themselves. So check this out. You'll see a microscope statement in Matthew 5 saying, starting out with this, you have heard that it was said. And then a transformation into a telescope statement, but I say to you, okay? So follow me in the following verses. So we'll read verse 21, and you'll see this. Verse 21, here's the microscope verse. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Okay, here's the telescope. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Verse 27, microscope statement. You have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. Telescope. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Verse 33, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God. Verse 38, you have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn to him the other also. And finally, verse 43, you have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
verse 44, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. See, the high expectations of the king of kings crosses everybody up and breaks all our ankles. It's not enough to outwardly obey the law, the moral code, but you have to obey it from the heart, from the heart. Now, I know um, some of you might be thinking, hey, Sam, you know, no one's perfect here. You know, that's not what Jesus is really saying. Uh, you can expect people to be perfect. You can't. It's all about trying to be a good person and doing your best, living a good life. What are you doing? I hear you. But read with me the very last verse of chapter 5. Gaze down there, verse 48. And Jesus said, You, therefore, must be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus says, you have to be perfect. Not mediocre, not above average, but perfect. There must be no blot or blemishes found in you. No mistakes, no contrary motives, no hidden agendas, no judgmental thoughts, no cynicism, no signs of impatience, not even a hint of anxiety. You're always gentle, always peaceful, always kind and good in every single moment. You must be perfect, inwardly and outwardly. Um, you know, in our culture of comfort, we tend to forget that God isn't our home, homeboy. God isn't our homeboy. God isn't Santa Claus dressed up in a white toga. Right? God is pure, inaccessible light. To draw near to such glory is like drawing near to the blazing heat of the sun. He's going to melt your face off. And for sinners to approach God in our own goodness is what one Puritan describes like a mosquito approaching Niagara Falls and expecting to live. Story after story in the Old Testament from Abraham, Moses, Isaiah, and even poor Uzzah, who touched the ark and fell dead, did not stand before God's suffocating holiness. So the question is, how can sinful, imperfect people ever commune with a perfect and righteous God. You know, the story of the Bible, the story of the Bible starts off with a man named Adam, who was the representative of all humanity. And he was tasked with keeping one simple condition, to not eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Like he could eat anything else except for that one tree. And our representative in paradise failed to keep that commandment from God. And so from that point forward, imperfection invaded a perfect paradise where 
every cell, every molecule, every atom became infected with a disease called sin. But thank goodness the story doesn't end there. The Bible story doesn't end there. The Bible also talks about another representative of humanity that would come much later. But his task was not so simple. His task was, get this, to live every second of his life with every fiber of his whole being following God's moral and ethical laws perfectly, perfectly. No hint of guile, no contramotives, no unrighteous anger or judgment. He was to live perfectly, both inwardly in his heart and outwardly in his action. And our representative did not live in paradise, but lived in a broken world that hated him. And yet, he kept the whole commandment of God, even while unjustly being tortured and murdered unto death, till his last breath. See, he kept it all, and so from that point on, Romans 5.19 is made possible, and it was made possible for you. Hear the word of the Lord, Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 19. For as Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by Jesus' obedience, many will be made righteous. Jesus Christ accomplished what you and I could never do. He lived a righteous life without a stain of sin anywhere to be found in it. And he credits that all over to you. And this is what Matthew 5.20 means when it says that you can never enter the kingdom of heaven unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees. And the only way that is possible is from the exceedingly righteous one who credits that all over to you. Earlier, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, the same verse this, Verse 17, do not think I've come to abolish the law of their prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Praise God. Believer, Crossley fam, Jesus has accomplished everything for you. He is your righteousness, your good standing. He is your perfection. And because he is all that for you, you will not die as you approach the Holy One in prayer. (laughs) In fact, you are free, totally free, to commune with the God of the universe as a child is to his father. You are totally free to experiment with all sorts of different manners of prayer and fall flat on your face, but joyfully come up and brush the dirt off your shoulders and enjoy communion with him joyfully. So let's end this whole prayer series, this whole series with a challenge. My task is to give you all a challenge to take risks and expand our prayer life. So we're going to end the series with five suggestions to help us all expand our manner of prayer, the mechanics of it, and the how-tos, all right? 
Um, there's a lot we can cover. Um, I won't do a Dan and do like 20 and I may, may put some on the podcast. I'll just give you five and you guys can talk about more. All right? So here are five manners to challenge us on how we can pray. And then we'll end. All right. Number one. Number one. It's called write it out. You're going to write, not ride, write it out. Uh, for me, a lot of times to write out my prayers, uh, it felt really funny in the beginning because, uh, you know, like I'm a guy and I used to have like this uh, mental image of like this teenage girl with a big like pink pom-pom pen going, dear diary, as she's journaling. I'm like, no, man, that's not cool. But uh, I came to find out that there's a lot of value to writing out your prayers. Um, uh, when I was in counseling, my psychologist told me how the part of the brain called the amygdala, the emotional part of the brain, can just hijack the mind, sending me into this fight-or-flight mode. And part of the skill of emotional intelligence is to self-regulate our emotions by connecting our emotional area of the brain with the frontal part of the brain, the reasoning area. And when you connect that, you're able to make sure to have your emotions not be the driver of your emotions, but you get to serve your emotions so that you could serve the king of glory. So um, that's why I like writing my prayers out, because I, I need that connection. Because when I'm sad, when I'm mad, or when I'm hangry, it is hard to preach to myself. It's hard to preach to myself. I need to connect the emotional part of the brain to the reasoning part and to self-regulate. And... Um, don't feel like, I know some of you are really good at this journaling stuff. I know uh, Mary Dorman's awesome. Um, I'm really sure that Hannah Anderson is really good at this. But um, don't feel like you have to create this masterful prayer, like you have to write it all down and you have to finish it most of the time. Uh, because it doesn't matter, all right? I'm sorry, it doesn't matter. Uh, you don't have to create a masterpiece. Sometimes I don't even finish it because it's all about connecting with God, right? Not making an awesome book, all right? Number two is called invite. Invite, right? Invite God into your everyday moments. You know, prayer doesn't have to be some holy set-apart moment in the morning with your Bible set out, right, and your coffee going. Like, if you're God's child, he is everywhere you go. Why seclude him only to an isolated time or event in your life? Which is also good, by the way. But you know, he's also with you in the bathroom, you know. He's also with you as you're ordering McDonald's. He's also with you as you're binge-watching Netflix. So why not take those moments and invite God in and talk with him about those moments and in those times? Like, you don't have to compartmentalize. I had to practice it like three or four times. I still can't get it. Compartmentalize the omnipotent God in your life. Like, Invite him into every moment, and you'll find that soon you'll be spiritually consistent, that you're not wearing masks all the time. All right? Number three, allow the drift. Allow the drift. You know, um, when I shared with you earlier, when I pray for a long time, I, I think about Dragon Ball Z or some stupid thing I watched on YouTube. Um, like, be okay with that. Right, I, want to, I want to give you all permission. Be okay with your mind drifting during prayer and don't beat yourself up. Like, remember, Christ is your righteousness. He's proven it all for you. 
He's actually praying the perfect prayer for you so you can have messed up, messy prayers thinking about Dragon Ball Z, all right? You could just say, God, man, I'm so weak, I can't even sustain my focus here. Like, uh, laugh at yourself then, and then move on. Allow the drift to come and go. It's about, again, communion with God. Number four, leverage. Leverage. Leverage those activities that make your soul happy and then pray them to God. Like, uh, don't tell Dan and Kirk this, but instead of listening to worship music in the morning, I listen to Korean pop songs because, man, it gets me hyped up, all right? I love to get hyped up so that I can actually pray. I can wake up and pray. It's okay. You don't have to wor- listen to worship songs, although they're really good. Like, leverage those activities that make your soul hyped up and happy For example, as you're inhaling that pecan pie, tell God how kind he is. As you're marveling at all the different types of cheeses that occupy the aisle at Woodman's, thank God for his creativity, Wisconsinites. And as you're gardening, pray to God about how beautiful he is. And when you watch Korean dramas, thank the Lord for rom-coms. Amen? And then number five, last one, fight boredom. Fight boredom. You know, prayer... If you're honest, it's kind of boring sometimes, right? It could be monotonous, especially if you pray through a list. So, like, if you're in a rut, I encourage you to pray through the Bible. Like, read the Psalms and then pray those words back to God and to yourself. And what you'll find is that you'll have spiritually rich language, and it won't be boring. Um, Dr. Don Whitney's book called Praying the Bible is an excellent resource for this. Also, if you feel like you're in a rut, hearing other people pray will help give more breath to your prayers as well. Um, Because again, I think we like to say here, a lot of this is caught, not taught. So if you're around people to pray to God like he's your father and your dad, it's going to seep into your prayer life as well. And as an added help, we created a prayer compilation guide from the people found here in this congregation. It's found online. Um, You can email myself or Kirk if you want that. You can also read other things like The Valley of Vision, which is a famous book on prayers from great saints. Um, And I'm sure it will be helpful for you. All right, listen, there's many more. Dan had to pull my teeth to do all this application stuff because I hate it. But I did it for you, Dan. I had to rewrite my sermon on Thursday. so. Um, So with that said, there's many more, but hopefully those five will serve you. But with that, let's end with prayer. But let's do something different, okay? Crossway. You know, you know my background, charismatic circles. We're going to end with one of these. See this? You know what I'm doing with my hands? I'm doing this. So everyone do one of these. And this is not some weird voodoo magic thing. It's just to say, it's just a posture to be like, hey, God, I don't want to hold on to anything. I want to be open with you. It's just a hard posture to say, God, would you move? So pray with me. God, um, you are the God of the universe. And as we hold these things, these idols in our heart, these sin motivations, Lord, help us to let us go. Let these barriers of prayer go so that we can commune with you. We don't have to perform in front of you. Lord, we are perfectly accepted. Perfectly accepted. And I pray that our posture here will represent the posture of our hearts. So Lord, would you move in this congregation, help prayer to be the lifeblood here and now. As we go into communion, help us to continue to further implement that truth in our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.